Well, as most of you already know, that uh, I was a missionary in Scotland for 11 years, and uh, since the Lord uh, just called my wife and I to come back to the States and we pass on the church there. Uh, we've been, uh, been continually praying for God to send people uh, to come to Scotland. And our heart really is to send people to plant churches that teach the, teach the Bible and will get the gospel out. And so um, I just have a huge heart for Scotland. Obviously, I uh, invested 11 years of my life there. And, you know, it's a spiritually very needy place. Uh, they're in great need of the gospel in great need of, of great Bible teaching. And um, at the end of last year, I got the opportunity to speak with Pastor Dan Mawiza, uh, and he shared with me something that really was a huge answer to prayer for me as I've been praying for people uh, that God would send them there. And he told me that, you know, God had called them uh, as a family to go over to Scotland and plant a church uh, in Stirling, which is about uh, 30 minutes from where we were in Glasgow. And so uh, I've asked Dan to come here this morning and uh, just share from God's word with us, but also just to share what God has called him and his family to do so that we can be aware of that, so we can be praying for that, so we can be supporting that ministry. Uh, and before I have him come up, I just want to uh, encourage you out uh, in the foyer. You probably saw uh, all the little Scottish things that are out there. Uh, there is a sign-up sheet for their newsletter. Uh, I'm already on it. I've gotten a lot of updates. I encourage you to sign up for that. You'll get to know what's happening, and that will prepare you uh, to be able to pray effectively for what the Lord's doing. Uh, but also, you will have information for supporting them. So if that's something that you feel the Lord leading you to do, I would encourage you to do that. Uh, something that you need to recognize with Scotland uh, is Dan is on a missionary visa, which means he cannot work there at all. So his income is completely based on people like you and I and churches to support him, to enable him and his family to uh, survive over there. So if the Lord is leading you in that way, uh, I would encourage you to uh, get behind them financially as well, but definitely uh, prayerfully. Uh, and so... Uh, Without further ado, why don't we just welcome Pastor Dan on up and let him come encourage us this morning. Awesome. Wow, it's kind of cool because, um, you know, it's like the first time I've ever been here, but I, I don't think I actually uh, feel more at home. I, I mean, I pretty much know pretty much half of you guys, you know, in this room. So it's pretty awesome. Thank, uh, thank you, uh, Pastor Matthew, for uh, allowing me to come and to share and uh, just a little uh, sterling you're not uh, you know people are familiar okay Scotland some people don't even know where Scotland Scotland is that a city in, in England no it's its own country it's part of what's called the United Kingdom UK right that's Scotland England Wales Northern Ireland just in case if you didn't know what UK meant or what it was what that kingdom was uh, sterling just for just kind of a reference point how many here have saw i'm not promoting this so don't don't get you know but how many here have seen the movie braveheart all right you needed to repent after you watched that i'm just kidding no no it's a few scenes but you know otherwise it's a good movie uh yeah well uh, william wallace true character true historic historical figure he had his first kind of big victory over the English at a bridge called Sterling Bridge. Eventually he took the castle. In that movie, you, you saw that. They even might have been put in there, Sterling or Sterling Bridge or something at, at that point in the movie. So it's uh, the Sterling area is called Braveheart Country. So just if, you, if you're kind of familiarize yourself. So anyway, it's also called the Gateway to the Highlands because everything kind of basically north slash northeast of there is kind of the Highlands. So Anyway, just that gives you just a little bit of kind of geographically kind of a, a glimpse of what, what we're talking about. 
But uh, I just do appreciate the opportunity to come. And I, I have a, I just believe what God has, has put on my heart to share this morning. So I'm going to go ahead and, and pray and then we'll jump right in. Okay. Can we do that? All right. Father, we just praise you, Lord. We thank you, God, for this time. We ask that you would just go before us, Lord, that your word would lead us and guide us, Lord. We thank you that you didn't leave us blind and to grope in the dark to how to figure out this life. But Lord, you gave us direction. Your word is, is, a, is a manual to life, Lord. Your word even tells us it is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. When we don't know where to go or what to do, Lord, we have your word that gives us hope, gives us direction. So I pray that as we look to your word this morning, that you would just speak to our hearts, Lord. And I just praise you. I thank you for this time, for everyone here, Lord, so many familiar faces, family, really, uh, as they have been for so many years in our lives. I thank you for that. And then the new faces that we're getting to meet today as well. What a blessing that is. We are truly all the body of Christ. Thank you for that, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. We just pray you'd go before us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the late 17th century, the uh, great St. Paul's Cathedral was built in London, England, and it was designed by a famous architect, Sir Christopher Wren. He was a famous English architect. And the story goes that after they had begun work on the cathedral, you know, people knew his name, but they didn't really know what he looked like. So he was able to actually walk out amongst the workers, kind of anonymous, so to speak. So as he's at walking through and walking amongst the workers, he asked one of the, uh, one of the workers a question. He said, what are you doing? And the, the workman replied, I'm cutting a piece of stone. Duh. Then he asked the second workman the same question. And then he said, I'm earning five shillings a day. Then he asked a third workman the same question. And here's his response. He said, I'm helping Sir Christopher Wren build a magnificent cathedral to the glory of God. Now, needless to say, that third workman, he saw the big picture. Even though he was only doing one aspect, one thing, he was actually a part of the bigger picture in, in building that cathedral. Now, those other two, those two other workmen, they had accurate answers for sure, but they missed it. They missed the big picture. Well, let me tell you, God, just like those workmen who are doing one little, you know, cog in the wheel, so to speak, but they were a part of a big picture. God is calling each one of us, right? He's calling each one of you to be a part of a big picture, right? He's calling you to come and to build, come and to build. So if you have your Bibles, and I trust you do, turn over to the book of Nehemiah. And we're going to look at several verses throughout Nehemiah. We're going to kind of skip around, if you don't mind. We're going to start, though, in chapter 2 of Nehemiah, verse 17. And as we look at this passage and different aspects of it, I'm, hopefully, if you allow me to this morning, and since I'm here and I got the microphone, you will, of course, I want to interlace a bit of our story, our family story of how God has called us to Scotland. And then hopefully, through it, you'll see our journey, you'll see what we're, God has called us to do, and you'll hear it, and you'll connect with us. But as well, along the way, hopefully, my prayer is that you'll see, you'll begin to see your own story. Right? You'll begin to see your own story unfold. So let's begin. 
Hope you're there. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17. And it says this. This is Nehemiah speaking. Then I said to them, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste, and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer be a reproach. Now, we're jumping kind of into the middle of the story. It's like one of those movies that, you know, you start in the middle, and all of a sudden, you're, where are we? And then they kind of eventually take you back. We'll get back to the beginning to some degree, and we'll see that. But here we are. We're seeing Nehemiah, and he's exhorting the people to come and let us build. Now, we know, if you know the story, if you're familiar with it, they, they were going to rebuild the walls that surrounded Jerusalem, right? That's exactly, though, if you, if you don't realize it, that's the exact same exhortation that God is giving to us right? He's calling each one of us today to come and to build. Now, you might be thinking, well, build what? What is it that we're to build? Well, of course, Nehemiah, in his story, he was going to build the walls, just as we said. Now, a little bit of backstory. Nehemiah, he was called to go build the walls roughly about 150 years after the Babylonian captivity. And about 75 to 80 years after the initial group of people went back to uh, Jerusalem, were able to go back to Jerusalem from Babylon. And uh, you have the book of Ezra, and Ezra describes how under Zerubbabel they rebuilt the temple, but they didn't exactly finish the walls that were around the city. And of course, in those days, walls were very important because it provided protection, right, from against enemies and so on and so forth. And so they were very vulnerable as a city. But that's Nehemiah. That's what he was called to do. He was called to rebuild the walls. But what is God calling us to build? And of course, it doesn't take you know, a lot of you know, thinking too hard about this. God has called us to build his kingdom, right? He's called us to build his kingdom. Now, for my wife, Angela, and myself, there's my wife, Angela, in the background right there. She's kind of towards the back, though. So everybody say hi to Angela. My son's not here. My daughter, Sophia, she's staying here, so my, she's 23. My son's 18. He's coming with us. So for my wife, Angela, my son, Samuel, myself, he's called us to go build, so to speak, the kingdom in Scotland. Now, that came about three years ago, that call, just like Nehemiah, that call to go build. And God began to speak to my heart, and he said, it's time to get ready to go. Now, most of you know who I am. I mean, a lot of you know. Okay, but some of you don't, so I'll just give you a little background. Um, my wife, my family, we've been in, in Houston, Texas for 24 years, working with the Calvary there at Calvary Houston, and 20 of those years, just last March was my 20th anniversary of being ordained. I've been on staff for 20 years, right? So you can imagine after 24 years, you're thinking, well, this is pretty much where we're going to be, right? We thought we were going to they, you know, they were going to end up burying us under the, under the sanctuary, right? You know, when we died, we're pillars there. We thought we'd be there forever. And yet, you know, God started moving. And I kind of find myself identifying a lot these days with Nehemiah. And if you look back in chapter 1 of Nehemiah, we're actually introduced, when we're introduced to Nehemiah in verse 11, at the end of that verse, it tells us, that Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer. Now, 
if you don't know what a cupbearer is, he was the guy that basically was kind of like right there next to the king. And any food or drink that came to into the king's presence, if he was going to eat it or drink it, he would have to make sure that that food or that drink was not poisoned. So he would test it and so on and so forth. Very, very, if you think about it, like if you were worried about being poisoned, the person that was testing your food would be very, very important to you, right? That's Nehemiah. He was very important, very had an intimate position, if you will, with the king. And if you think about Nehemiah, it was a position, if you will, of, of prestige. Probably had a lot of perks that kind of went along with it. And I thought, I started thinking about it myself, and I felt very much like Nehemiah was in those days. I mean, I was apart from our senior pastor, Pastor Ron, and Linda, our, our secretary, who's still there on staff. And I was a third person on staff, and we have a very large staff. And I, so I was one of the senior people, so to speak, on staff. I could say, you could say I had some seniority, if you will. And then, even not to mention beyond that, just having been involved in the church for so many years, you feel loved right? You feel respected, you know, built up something. You feel like, you know, maybe this maybe speaks to men more than maybe it does to the ladies, but as a man, you feel like that's kind of what you work for in life, right? You know, to kind of build something and to have it like people look at you and go, there's Dan. Yeah, I feel, I respect him. You know, he's a pastor, you know, he's one, he's been here forever, you know, kind of a thing. That's kind of how I felt. You know, and obviously on top of all of that, of course, I was serving the Lord. So man, it was like the best of all world, so to speak, for us. But again, God started to move. He started to place a burden on my heart. A little more of a background for us. My wife uh, is from Scotland, right? We, we met uh, almost 28 years ago, and I was on a mission trip with a church in California. That's where I'm from originally. And we got, we met and six months later we were married and I immediately whisked her off away to, to California. And then three years later we moved here, right, to, to Houston area. So, you know, we are familiar with Scotland. We would go back every few years as a, on a mission trip. I mean, not a mission trip, but just a vacation. And we've done a couple of mission trips to, to Scotland as well. But as I said before, we felt very much like until about three years ago, we felt you, you know, Calvary Houston, that's where we were going to be. That's our home. That's exactly what God was doing. But then I started to hear some things kind of going on, you know, some, some disconcerting news, some, you know, what's going on in Scotland. As, as Pastor Matthew said, you know, Scotland's a very kind of dry place and, and, and spiritually speaking at times. And um, I've even heard of, of Calvary's after going for 10 years, uh, you know, closing their doors because I know one couple that got kicked out of the country got their visas revoked and other kind of stories like that. And I just, man, it started to burden my heart. And, uh, you know, it was kind of like when Nehemiah heard about the walls that were the state of Jerusalem at the time, the walls being down in the state, it burdened him. And just in the very same way, hearing about those things about Scotland burdened my heart. You know, you may not be aware, but Scotland, England, UK, it was once a citadel of faith, right? It was a, once a place where they sent out missionaries around the world. Missionaries like, like Dr. David Livingston, right? Dr. Livingston, I presume. You've heard that expression. That was Dr. David Livingston, went to Africa. 
or Mary Slessor, or had great preachers like Robert Murray McShane, or great uh, you know, men of God like John Knox during the Reformation, or George Whitfield. They all came, those came from Scotland. So I, I saw Scotland much like, you know, kind of Jerusalem was before the captivity, before when Jerusalem was the, the centerpiece of God's presence in the world, right? It, God's presence was in Jerusalem. Now, now, not so much exactly like that, but UK used to be that kind of that focal point and was sending out, but not so much today. I was just reading a recent statistic and it said, I think I've heard a couple of different statistics, but anywhere from 6 to 7.2% or whatever of the population in Scotland go to any kind of organized religion. So that, that includes, you know, other religions, Catholicism, you know, roughly about le- by less than six, maybe 4% or so would, you would say, attend uh, any kind of evangelical type of a church on a regular basis, you know, weekly, right? So you can imagine, I mean, not everybody that goes to church is Christian, you know what I mean? We understand that, right? So you can kind of, do, you know, get the picture, right? Where that, where that percentage starts to really lie of the actual believers in Scotland. But then I heard some even kind of more, you know, kind of news that was just even more kind of disheartening. A friend of mine there shared, uh, I think it was last year, in the UK, again, as I said, that's England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland. They, in the Baptist denomination, they had something in the neighborhood of 80 vacancies for pastors in their churches. And they have a, they have a seminary there, Baptist seminary. That same year, they graduated four students. So you can see there's not just not a lot of Christians, but there's just a void of leadership in a lot of different ways. You know, I know Pastor Matthew would say that, you know, man, you know, it's, it's tough, it's tough hoeing, you know, so to speak. The ground is, can be hard at times, you know, out there. So, you know, there are, there are still faithful pastors out there, people serving the Lord, you know, doing that work, but God is just calling us, you know, and when, and when I hear that kind of information, I just, I, my heart was just swelled with, with just a burden for them. But listen, that's our story, but what about your story? You know, God has called you and he wants you to hear his call to wherever that might be. Now, for most of you, and really for the most part, for you, it's right here, right? It's, it's to serve the Lord and to get involved and to help build the kingdom right here, right where you're at. He's calling you to build. He's showing you. He wants you to see in, the, in your community, in your surroundings, the spiritual devastation, if you will, that's all around you. And let me just say this. For any call of the Lord, for it to be effective, it has to begin first with a burden. You need to truly see the spiritual state of the community and the people and the situation around you. Otherwise, you're not going to be moved. That's exactly how it was for Nehemiah. Look back at chapter one of Nehemiah, verse four, it says, so it was when I heard these words that I sat down and I wept and I mourned. I wept and I mourned when he heard that news. So we have to ask ourselves, are we burdened? Right? Are we burdened when we see the state of mankind or the state of our, our communities around us? 
Maybe it's for a specific area for you. For us, it was Scotland. Are we burdened? Because it has to begin with a burden, but it doesn't stop with a burden. Because Nehemiah tells us that he fasted and he prayed as well as he mourned and wept. He fasted and he prayed before the God of heaven. Now, once you hear God speaking, once you start to get involved in the kingdom, once you sense that burden, it has to then move to prayer, right? And it's not just like a quick prayer. I know sometimes we see some news or we see something going on in the world or we see something going on in our community. We go, oh, Lord, and we get that burden and then we just we, we make a quick prayer about it and then we just kind of move on like, oh, I got to, you know, go pick up the dry cleaning or I got to go, you know, my, my, uh, my charger for my iPhone is out. I got to go get it, you know, get a new one, you know, first world problems, so to speak. And we let those things drown out that burden and that and that prayer just becomes one time, just a one shot. But that is not how it should be. It should be something that's ongoing. He wept, he fasted, he prayed. It tells us for many days. That happened with us. As I said, the call to go to Scotland and what we were hearing about, the things that were going on there, it was three years ago. And we've been seeking the Lord all this time. Now, a little more of a background for us. When I when I first kind of felt that call and just knowing our, uh, my wife and I's previous conversations, I just thought, well, I'm not sure if she's going to be really 100% gung ho on this, even though, you know, she's from Scotland and you think, well, that's, that would be automatic. But, you know, we had two children that weren't, you know, one of them was still in school and we had a, you know, a, a life that we built up. And so it was, it took for her a little time. In fact, it took 18 months for us to kind of find our way to be in agreement. And I tell you what, uh, it was very difficult, but I, you know, and it was very hard sometimes to even talk about things, you know, it was like the 800 pound gorilla in the room and we couldn't talk about it without getting emotional. And, And so really the main thing and the best thing we could do was to pray. Right. And so for 18 months, we just prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and God began to work. I love what AJ Gordon once said, he, he said this, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you can never do more than pray until you have prayed. So we prayed. And God, he did. He began to work in my heart. He began to work in her heart. And we found ourselves in unity and full agreement. And we knew God was doing this. He was moving us. And I love this about Nehemiah because understand, Nehemiah prayed, but Here's something that's also very important. Nehemiah didn't pray alone. I want you to see this. Look at verse 11 of chapter one. And this is part of his prayer. It's towards the end of his prayer. And he's saying this to the Lord. He says, and Lord, oh Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant. Notice this, and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name and then let your name or your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. He's talking about the king, right? Because he was going to have to talk to him. And he says, for I was the king's cupbearer. But he said, listen to, made it, you know, hear the, the prayer of your servant and to your servants, right? It's very important to have the body of Christ come together and be praying for whatever it is that you need prayer for. And listen, when you start to think about going out 
in a sense, even though you know we we know some people in Scotland, we have she has my Angela has extended family out there, but in a sense, in a very real sense, we're going to be all alone. In a lot of ways, you know, just they're out there doing the work, you know, but it's important for people to pray. So we started a newsletter, as as Pastor Matthew said, about eight months ago, we started a newsletter and we would love for you to be able to get on that newsletter, sign up for that, that you way, that way you know best how to effectively pray for us. Because listen, it takes all of us praying together. We know we can't, we're just three people. To do that work takes much more than that to do that work, that work in prayer. So listen, your life, what about you? What is God speaking to you? Maybe you're sitting here this morning thinking, maybe before even the message even started, maybe during worship you're thinking, man, there's something going on in my life. There's, there's, a, there's a decision I have to make. or maybe, Whatever it is that God's moving on your heart, think about this. You need to get others to be praying for you. You need to be praying, of course, but you need to help get others to be praying for you. I love what Jesus said of this work that God has called us all to do, right? The Great Commission, he says in Luke 10, 2, he says, he, he said, therefore, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, get out of your seats immediately and just run out into the mission field. No, he didn't say that. No, he said, therefore, pray. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Before anyone goes to do anything, we should pray. We need to pray. But I love this about Nehemiah, because Nehemiah didn't just stop with praying. He also began to plan. And we see that all throughout chapter two. Nehemiah was obviously, as we just looked at that prayer, he was obviously waiting for an opportunity. There was gonna be a time because his burden was so heavy on his heart that he was gonna have to say something to the king, right? He was gonna have to do something about this. And apparently he couldn't hold it back any longer. Obviously a guy who, at least at this point, was someone who wore his kind of heart on his sleeve as it were. But look at chapter two, verses one and two. He says this, and it came to pass in the month of Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes when wine was before him and I took the wine and gave it to him. See, he's a cupbearer. Now I, I had never been sad in the presence, in his presence before. Therefore, the king said to me, why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. Now, a little bit of background here before we kind of touch upon this verse, but why would he have be afraid if being sad? Well, he, kings and, and and royalty, monarchy in those days, they didn't they didn't want to have a lot of people around them that were like kind of bummed out, and they always just wanted to be happy. You know, you ever see like in movies or in plays, they have the guy that dances around. They call him the court jester, right? And he was there because he was trying to keep everybody in a good mood. It's a little kind of a, you know selfish, I guess you could say, kind of self-centered on the king's part, but that's the king, right? He just didn't want to have everybody else kind of sad around them, so to speak. So in a sense, Nehemiah kind of had did have something very real to, reason to be afraid, but you got to also remember this was God's plan, right? This was God's plan and it was his burden. And so, of course, because it was God's plan, Nehemiah found favor with the king. And the king actually asked Nehemiah, well, what do you want? What do you want me to do? That's pretty awesome. And when Nehemiah was asked, Nehemiah didn't go, wow, uh, I didn't expect that. So give me about two weeks. I'm going to come back and I'm going to let you know what my plan is. 
and I'll give you a list. It's probably a dangerous thing to do because you don't know, maybe the king might change his mind. But no, Nehemiah didn't do that. He was ready. Why? Because he had been planning and thinking about it. As he was praying, as he was getting other people to pray, he was he was planning. He was thinking about what would I say if the king said, yeah, Nehemiah, what, what do you need? Right? So he was preparing for this moment for days, maybe even months. So what is God speaking to your heart? You Got to pray about it. But you also need to plan and you need to prepare. That way, you're ready. You're ready when the doors of opportunity open up. You know, for us, when we got to that point after those 18 months and we were in, we were in agreement and we, we knew we've got to at some point talk to our senior pastor, Pastor Ron Hint, we knew we were going to have to talk to him about it and weren't really even sure how he was going to take it. We, you know, just, just, you don't know, all these things kind of go around your mind. But also, you know, we had a life that we had to kind of think about, you know, kind of prepare for. Like we had a house that we had to sell. We had 27 years of life together that we had to think about getting kind of getting rid of. You know, when you when you move across an ocean and, you know, it's very, you can't take a lot of stuff, you know, with you. You know, it's not like you can pull a U-Haul over the water, you know, kind of a thing. And uh, shipping stuff would be just really, really expensive. So we're just like, you know, it's kind of very cathartic because you kind of kind of get rid of every everything and anything that was that's not the most important thing in your life. So, you know, the most important thing like your iPad or your your laptop. No, I'm just teasing. Guitar. No, I'm just kidding. There's a few other items. Really, it's pretty much those things in your clothes, and and there you go. So we had a lot of get, you know, we had to sell our home, and we had a lot to think about. It involved a lot of yard sales and selling things online, and you know, Facebook advertising. Fortunately, my wife is an expert in Facebook. So, and then on top of all of that, we had major ministries that we were over and involved in that we had to kind of figure out how we were going to pass those on. I was over, been over our school of ministry for the last six years. And Angela has been involved in overseeing our bookstore. And, and we had other ministries that we were, we had to figure out, okay, we got to decide, pray about who would be taking those and, and how are we going to do that? What process are we going to, uh, you know, involve with that? So there was a lot to consider, a lot to plan. And we had it, we thought all about that before we actually ever even made our announcement. So that way, when we did talk to our senior pastor, kind of had in a sense our ducks in a row. And we decided when we talked to him that we needed a year, right? And that was last early part of last May. Lo and behold, we're heading out May 26th. That's our date of departure. Do the math. That's a year. God was worked right perfectly in speaking to our hearts as we planned and prepared. What did we need? So that was important. And so you have to ask yourself, listen, if God is speaking to your heart about a work to do, or if he's calling you to step out in faith, then you can't approach it in a haphazard style, you know, haphazard approach. You need to make sure, in a sense, you have what it takes to get there. You have to be, you know, working towards that. You know, Jesus gave a parable, um, and he talked about a man who set out to build a tower. And halfway along the way, he ran out of funds and it was very humiliating for him. And he used the term counting the cost. In other words, 
seeing if you have what it takes, so to speak, or if you're willing to go the distance, so to speak, in that, in that particular adventure. And so, listen, we have to, we have to ask ourselves, yes, when we're talking, we'll talk about God's provision in a moment, but we also have God's wisdom and we need to put it into practice. We need to use that in planning and preparing as best that we can. Again, maybe God's putting this project on your heart or he's calling you to do something, or maybe like us, God's calling you into the mission field. Whatever it is, if you're expecting God to just kind of drop everything into your lap, you're sorely mistaken. Now, I would say this, if you're not sure what, how to proceed, if, not, if you're not sure what, what wisdom to apply, you know, then talk to Pastor Matthew or, or Jenny and just say, you know, like, hey, I have this thing on my heart and my mind. Do you have any advice? Do you have any wisdom for me? How to proceed, right? So like Nehemiah, when we hear the call of God and on our lives to come and let us build, first we need to pray, then we need to plan. And then thirdly, yes, definitely for sure, we need God's provision. Nehemiah in chapter two, when the king asked, right? When he said, Nehemiah, well, what do you need? Nehemiah didn't say to the king, king, I am a child of God. Don't worry about it. You know, well, I'm just going to go and, you know, God's going to provide all of our needs. Don't worry, king. You know, you're, you're, you're a worldly king anyway, so why would I even ask you for help anyway? He didn't do that. But, you know, often as Christians, we do that. We kind of just kind of go and we think, you know, this mindset that God's just going to provide, and he will. We'll talk about that. But we don't use wisdom in that. You know, and we don't prepare. We don't think about what's, what is needed. I love what Alan Redpath said in his book, Victorious Christian Service. Awesome book. I highly recommend it for anyone that's serving in ministry or just wants to look get involved in serving in ministry. It's a great book called Victorious Christian Service. He said this, There are some people who believe that all that is necessary for missionary preparation and safety is simply to drop the unfortunate missionary somewhere by parachute into a jungle in Africa saying, God will provide all your need. He said, do you call that faith? He said, no, my friend, I believe it is sheer murder. It's like, whoa, (laughs) I kind of agree with him, right? And don't get me wrong, God is ultimately the one who provides for his people, and and even more so, he he provides for his work to get done. But notice, when he was asked, what do you want me to do by the king? Here's what Nehemiah said in verse 7 and 8 of chapter 2. He says, furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me, for the governors of the region beyond the river, and that it must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. And let a letter to Asaph, the king of the forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple, for the city wall, and for the house that I will occupy. So that's even his personal, you know, uh, needs. And then they said, and the king granted them, and here it is, to me according to the good hand of God upon me. Just as a side note to our previous point of planning, how did Nehemiah have all that in his head right at that very moment when the king asked him? Because he planned, he prepared, right? He didn't hesitate when the king asked him. He already, he knew what what he needed to ask for. You know, um, 
Nehemiah didn't hesitate to ask for help. Think about that. When it came to his provision, right? He, he needed it. He was just a servant. He didn't have all of those resources at his disposal. He didn't hesitate to ask. And even when the, the, the verse we started with, verse 17 of chapter 2, when it came time to actually building, he actually needed help to do that because he couldn't do that all himself. He told the people, come and let us build, right? All of you, come. You think about that. That's why churches take offerings or have offering boxes. That's why churches make announcements for people to serve in our children's ministry or in cleaning ministry or whatever the ministry is. Why? Because, you know, the pastor can't do it all himself, nor should he. That's not his responsibility. Ephesians 4.16 speaks to this. I love this passage, and it really speaks to the ministry within the body of Christ, what God is doing in the body of Christ. It says, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. I love this verse because, it, again, it's speaking about the work that God wants to do within the body. But, but lo- notice the phrases that he, Paul uses here. He says, the whole body, right, joined it together. Every joint supplies, and then by which every part does its share. Listen, we're, we all have a part to play. Every single one of you have a part to play. In this body, God has called you to be involved, to serve, to step up, do whatever's needed to, to be a part of that, right? And, and God is calling the body of Christ to provide, if you will, for the body itself. And I, and <laughs> we understand that completely, even more so, you know, I mean, I've been on staff now, I guess I said 20 years, and you think about it, if you really going to get down to it, you know, okay, we're well, I'm on staff, I get a check, people tithe, my tithe, my check comes from the tithe. So I'm, I've been supported for the last 20 years in that sense, but it doesn't kind of equate because you're in an office and you're working and it's a very large church and it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't really kind of sink in until you go out to some place where every thing you do is has to be supported in a sense by somebody else you know we that as as pastor matthew said i i'm going to be on a missionary visa so i can't work i i can't even accept money when there's a church and they give a tithe or an offering i can't even take money from them yeah that's right so everything that we do has to be supported from here in a sense from the from the states and god's blessed us with people within our church even people outside of our church other churches themselves who, who, you know, have heard our story, they've, they've heard our burden and, and kind of join with us, if you will, to help us in the work. And I, I definitely would, we would feel honored if there would be any here that would feel called to, to join with us and, and support us financially and be a part of the work that we're doing there. Uh, we've got stuff at the table, cards and so on and so forth, but, and we'd love to talk to you about that. But listen, when it comes to your own story, I would just say this to you, and I say this to, with all my heart, invest your lives into the kingdom. Invest your lives into the kingdom. Listen, God is calling you. And if he calls you, he'll lead you. And if he leads you, there'll be his provision. Sometimes that means for some of us, for most of us, work in a job, right? To provide in that sense. Uh, you know, for, for Nehemiah, it was, uh, you know, the king, right? 
But, uh, you know, God's provision will be assured as you seek him, right? I love Philippians 4.19. It says, and my God shall supply all your need according to his rich riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So God clearly promises his provision for his work. But I also love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, 14. He says, now that at this time, your abundance may supply their lack and that their abundance may also supply your lack, that there may be equality. In other words, how does God provide for his work? He uses all of us. He uses each one of us in that process. So, for you, how does what is God calling you to do, right? God's going to provide. How He does it, that's that's going to He'll He'll show you that. Now, all along I've been saying if God has called you, but I would just say this: God has called you. I, I can't emphasize that enough. God has called you to come and to build. He has called you to to be a part of the kingdom of God, whether it's right here in Pasadena or whether it's greater Texas area or it's in the world. Whatever it may be, God has called you to be a part of that process. Look at one last verse, Nehemiah chapter two, verse 18. Now we started with verse 17. So This verse happens right after that verse that Nehemiah tells the people, come and let us build. And he says this to them. He says, and I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to do this good work. What Nehemiah was doing was, in other words, he was saying, I shared them my testimony, right? I shared them the burden that God put in my heart when I heard about the state that, that, that Jerusalem was in. And then I shared them how we prayed and I got other people to pray. And I, then I shared them and I talked to the king and I didn't know what was going to happen. I thought maybe he might say, hey, you're sad and off with his head. And, but no, he said, you know, hey, what do you want me to do? And then the king said, okay, I'll do this. And, what, and I'll, everything that I said I asked for, he gave to me, right? He started to share his testimony about the burden, the, the work that God had called Nehemiah to do. And the people heard that and they were like excited, like, wow, that has to be the Lord, right? And so they said, they responded, yes, right? Let us rise up and build. Now, my prayer today is that like Nehemiah, I, what brief amount of our testimony I've shared with you, you have uh, of my family and the work that God has called us to do that you have heard it and that you connect with us and that you would you would say, yes, I want to join and pray at least for sure, 100%, pray for them, and then maybe even support uh, what God wants to do through our through our through uh, the work that he has called us to. But, but even beyond that, I pray, my prayer is for you, that you hear your story, right? That you hear God calling you in your life to, to hear that call, to get involved, to get rise up and build in the kingdom of God, right? And and to answer that call to come and let us build. So again, we're going to be, after the service, 
there and you know, please come and talk to us. We'll tell you more uh, details of the story, what, how you can be involved, how you can sign up for the newsletter. And again, I thank you for allowing me to come and share this morning. But uh, let's, let's close with prayer. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for <clears throat> the call, Lord. The fact that this is your work. You could come down with a legion of angels and, and share the gospel in that way, but you don't do that. You have you you decide you've chosen to use us as vessels, Lord. We're we're not worthy of this privilege, Lord God. And and most of us, and if not all of us, are just we're not even fit and capable. But yet you enable us, Lord God. You call us and you enable us and you provide, Lord. So I thank you for that, Lord. And I pray for each person here that no matter what state they find themselves, Lord, in their lives, young or old or you know, whatever it is, you know, rich, poor, it doesn't matter, Lord God, you have a place for us in your work. And you have called, you said you, you created us for good works that you have prepared before the foundation of the world that we might walk in them, Lord. So I pray that we would understand today more than ever before the call, the importance of that call and answering that call, that we would step up and say, yes, Lord, we want to come and build in your kingdom whatever that might be, whatever part you have us to play. Lord, we thank you again. Praise you, Lord. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.